0: Welcome to the Health Humanities Podcast. Our mission is to facilitate interdisciplinary thinking and creative work related to illness, caregiving, and medicine. I'm Elizabeth Coletti, the Editor-in-Chief of the Health Humanities Journal of UNC Chapel Hill. and this episode, we'll hear from Patrick Caper-Barcelata, who's majoring in Global Studies and Sociology with a minor in Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. We'll start with hearing him read his story, Making Mom Happy. We hope you enjoy.
1: Making Mom Happy I know my mom is sad. I can tell because whenever she's sad, she orders Gourmet Kingdom for me and Sal and goes to bed early. I think she's not hungry because she eats pills instead. We've been having a lot of Gourmet Kingdom lately. Sal doesn't really like Gourmet Kingdom, but I tell him not to tell mom that. Honestly, I'm kind of tired of Gourmet Kingdom too, but I keep my mouth shut. Sal complains a lot. He doesn't know how to tie his shoes, and sometimes mom stays in bed in the morning, so I have to do it. Problem is, I'm not really good at tying shoes either. This morning I tied Sal's shoes together as a prank, but he took it like a wussy and started crying. Mom came downstairs, pushed past me and gave Sal a hug, even though I'm the one always tying his shoes. Listen, Dan, you have to look out for your little brother. There's enough we have to deal with, Mom told me. I thought Mom would be mad, but she actually seemed more sad and tired, like her eyebrows were trying to touch in the middle and hold up her eyelids from closing. I thought a lot about her eyes at school today. Miss Skulls told me I seemed distracted. I think I messed up. I think I mess up a lot. I came up with a plan at school to make Mom happy. Mom always laughs at the movie Little Rascals. She thinks it's funny when kids sing. Okay, then you sing the part, Oh, it's for the only one I see, I said to Sal as we were getting off the bus. I don't really want to sing, Dan, said Sal. I'll let you use my iPod, I said. Sal smiled big. Deal. We tiptoed into Mom's room. She was still asleep. Sal had to put his hand over his mouth because he's a loud breather. I flipped on the light and Mom groaned. No, don't do that. L is for the way you look at me, I started singing. Mom sat up and rubbed her eyes. I nodded at Sal and he jumped out from behind me. O is for the only one. "'I see.' Mom started smiling. It was working. I started moving my hands around. "'V is very, very extraordinary. "'E is even.' Sal stopped. I looked back at Sal, meeting his wide eyes with my own. "'I forget,' Sal mouthed to me, his cheeks flushed. My mouth went dry. I couldn't believe it. My plan was crumbling right in front of me. Then Mom made a noise. It sounded like she was crying.' Me and Sal both turned to her, but Mom was actually smiling and then she started to laugh. She threw back her head and started laughing really loud. I started to laugh too, then Sal laughed. Come here, Mom said, patting on her bed as she wiped her eyes. Sal and I jumped up and Mom gave us both a hug. Are you happy? I asked Mom. Yeah, baby, Mom said softly as she reached for the glass of water beside her bed. I knew it would work. She opened up her pills and swallowed too.
0: can read that short story with the rest of the fall issue on our website. Patrick, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for singing.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
0: So I'm curious, what was your inspiration for this story and how you started putting it together, given that it is fictional?
1: Yes, as you said, it is. It's a fictional story. Um, And I think that what I was trying to get to in writing this, maybe two things. The first is that I knew that it had to Pertain to some aspect of health um, and well being and illness. And I kind of knew from that point that I wanted to do something more mental as opposed to physical and go the route of mental health. And I guess the second thing I wanted to do from that is I thought it would be interesting to approach mental health and mental illness not from the person experiencing it, but rather from the point of view of those around those who are afflicted, so kind of like a surrounding perspective. So that was kind of my approach, the kind of, I guess, cross angles that I was hoping to hit uh, with this story. And I think that I chose to do it from a child's perspective, just to take away a little bit of sometimes the bitterness and cynicalness um, that comes with being around or dealing with addressing others' mental illness. I think a child has kind of this naive sort of view, especially with their mother. It's kind of almost unconditional love on both directions, but yet there still can be these afflictions and darknesses in these relationships. So, yeah, I was just hoping to take, kind of hoping to get a new angle at this idea through, yeah, doing it through a child kind of removed perspective.
0: Yeah, it does obviously make it stand out because it brings... Both the naivete, but also kind of the innocence in looking at someone dealing with depression or dealing with other mental issues. Were there challenges in writing from the point of view of a child narrator?
1: It's funny because I've kind of after writing this one too, I've taken some creative writing classes at UNC, and I was talking to my friend that I think I have a pattern of writing from a child's perspective. I've done I've done it before, um, and I think one challenging aspect of I guess that type of writing is that usually I like to use in like my academic writing and just in general in my daily conversations I tend to use like kind of I don't know what the best word for it is but like sometimes a little bit like obtuse vocabulary or that's a perfect example I guess (laughs) Um, but I think uh, when you're writing as a kid it kind of challenges you to stick to some more basic like imagery more basic description And that is sometimes a little bit of a challenge for me just because it's different from what I do as writing in my own voice. But I do think that it's valuable and that it really forces you to get to like the essence of emotions. And for example, there's one part in the story where I describe the mother's eyes as like I think it was like her eyebrows, like her eyebrows were trying to touch in the middle and keep her eyelids from closing. And that was a phrase that I played around with like quite a bit and edited through. Um, I think I sent you a couple of those edits, Elizabeth, post-fact of (laughs) uh, submitting the story. But yeah, what was challenging about that is that it's it's those moments where you wanna capture a really poignant emotion, but from a child's perspective, it has to still make sense vocabulary-wise, and it can't be too, yeah, profound or obtuse like I tend to do. So it really forces you to um, try to simplify your descriptions without losing any of that like impact and emotional pull.
0: Yeah, I think the child voice does feel very accurate in this story, especially with this fictional piece alongside a lot of the other nonfiction in the journal. I think there's a challenge there of authenticity of, does this feel like a true story? Does this feel like it's it's interfacing with these issues of health in an accurate way? So I think that's something that is very difficult, but also doing it from the extra layer of a child like I said, just brings extra, extra challenges to the piece that I think it rises to. So talking about authenticity, have you had any experiences in caring for older loved ones or seeing older relatives dealing with mental or physical illness?
1: As pertaining to this story specifically, I don't think I've had an experience to this degree. I think, I mean, my own mom was always like super present in our lives and everything. I think I have dealt with other people's sadness, whether it's family members or close friends, and I think that's always an interesting uh, experience because, yeah, it it affects obviously the person experiencing it first and foremost, but there's also kind of a web of hopefully support, but also uh, some like tribulations, obviously, and how your web of support also experiences the things you're going through. So, I mean, I have experienced that in some ways or another. Yeah, in terms of caring, it was interesting um, my grandfather recently died and I got to visit him shortly after I think I like submitted this story and I think if I had another chance or if I were to I don't know submit next year I think I would write about that experience because we were traveling through the airport during covid and it's just like a very uh, also interesting experience there's definitely I think a wealth of interconnections between mental and physical illness like there's there's an angle to any affliction I think that you can get at the human aspect of it and so that was an interesting experience as well but maybe that's for a future story
0: yeah we look forward to it if you decide to submit in the future how do you approach writing stories that maybe don't strictly fall into that saying of write what you know for you is it looking at different things that you can apply from your own experiences or do you do a lot of research or or something else
1: That's a good question. Yeah. I was thinking earlier too, you mentioned this idea of authenticity and especially like a fiction story amongst a lot of other non-fictions, how we get at the truth. Tobias Wolfe, this author I once listened to a talk he gave, says that oftentimes fiction is a better way at getting at truth, which I thought was an interesting kind of like paradoxical statement. But I think that in my own writing, I think about that a lot. I think that, yeah, fiction is a great conduit for getting at real emotions. And oftentimes, the relationships and things that we can't really disclose about ourselves or aren't brave enough to venture uh, in our own lives, we kind of bring them to life through characters. And it it can be kind of, it's an interesting sort of healing process to go through that. In terms of moving beyond the emotions of a piece, which I hope that fiction does convey authentically i think i i sometimes have to do depends what i'm writing i'll do more research there's things that have to be accurate i always of course want the details to be accurate so i'll do some research for this piece i didn't really need to do that much research i often do like to drop in things i know so like Mm -hmm. gourmet kingdom is in my opening paragraph a few times and that is this chinese restaurant that's close to where i live in chapel hill And the teacher's name, Miss Scholes, was my third grade teacher. So I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I guess those are like Easter eggs for myself. But I also think it gives us, when it's a real place, it's harder to get more authentic than that. So I guess I do like to interlace some actual aspects, maybe some research aspects with true fiction.
0: I love that those little details are accurate. That's really fun. So we've got global studies and sociology and then philosophy, politics, and economics are, those are your listed disciplines, your majors and minors. Uh, so where does writing fall into that for you? Is it a hobby or do you view it as an offshoot of one of your other areas of study?
1: Another good question. I think writing is something that I've always really, really enjoyed. I like both academic writing and creative writing. And if I could minor in creative writing, I think that I would as well. But it just, it's one of those things where if only you had enough time to do everything you wanted to do in college. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just a sophomore, so I'm not going to rule it out right now. But yeah, I think in terms of my like disciplines, I enjoy all that writing, but it definitely is more academic and research-based. And I mean, I'm glad I'm, I get to continue to pursue writing in that avenue through my disciplines. Um, and then creative writing, I would say, I have taken a couple classes, but it is more of a hobby as of now. But I think all writing i mean yeah i don't i don't see my creative writing as siloed from what i'm like learning and what i'm engaging with academically i think mm-hmm. a lot of times especially with sociology has been interesting that i get to learn a lot about narratives and populations and stories i think there's a story in a lot of there's stories almost in almost everything if not everything so i do think that it does influence my creative writing and everything i'm thinking about everything in my head comes out in one writing, whether it's academic or creative, but I always, I don't know, I try to keep writing as a thing that I do kind of often because I do enjoy it. And I, it's like important to my person.
0: Do you have any specific pieces of advice or things that you've remembered from your creative writing classes at UNC that have really stuck with you?
1: First is a quote that I often think about, which is Kurt Vonnegut. And he says to pity the reader. It's just a perspective I like to entertain as I'm writing because I think, okay, why will they spend the time to read this? Like, why why should they want to read this? And th- I like to think of things from the reader's perspective and something I've learned in my classes as well. For example, like as a younger writer, I liked the cliffhanger ending or I don't know whether it's like, oh, that person wasn't actually alive or it was like kind of pulling out the rug. And I've learned that that's For example, not really satisfying to the reader. The reader, I think, likes to discover things and feel like they're capable throughout the whole thing and not feel like they got the rug pulled out underneath them right at the end. I don't know, I think advice is very tailored to what your specific strengths and weaknesses are as a writer. Um, Taking classes allowed me to identify some of the things that I think I could definitely improve on. I think the coolest thing about fiction writing that I've really explored, not only through my own work, but also in these creative writing classes that are more like workshops and you get to read a lot of your peers writing is that I think that it allows you to kind of breathe life into what you might consider mundane. And I think that there's a a lot of these images that you never think of, but kind of exist well within the realm of fiction writing. I had one friend who wrote a story about a couple who's driving at night and they hit a horse and they kill a horse. Um, and this couple is going through their own like marital troubles. And it ends up being like a really cool back and forth. And it's these things that don't really occur in real life, but feel so real. And I mentioned that before about how sometimes fiction is a way to get at higher truth. So I think my advice maybe would be to really explore with some of like the weirdness that writing can produce and even a premise that seems... A little bit far-fetched or a premise that seems a little bit odd can sometimes get at such like true nuances of humanity and such interesting yield such interesting insights so yeah that's kind of a wraparound answer but mo- mostly i think it's just explore learn what your own like strengths are learn what you like to do and then i guess move yourself outside of that comfort zone too every now and then and i think the more you do it the more you kind of get a handle of your own process and obviously read other people's works that's like a huge thing i think is to just keep reading because, I don't know, you'll be constantly inspired and surprised. And it's also awesome to see someone do something that you you say, I would never do it like that, but I still really appreciated the craftsmanship behind that. So I don't know how many things that was, but that's <laughs> kind of my advice, I think. yeah
0: From the creative writing classes that I've been in, just the ability to constantly be thinking about it, to be reading work from other people in class, be reading short stories and poems, is so much of the value in it. So I like that you touched on that. Are there any other authors or, like you said, in nonfiction research, any researchers who you're inspired by or you have any favorites?
1: Yeah, so in terms of, I guess, two academic writers that I find really interesting, one is Charles Mills, Who I'm going to a talk tomorrow for which I'm really excited for (laughs) and specifically I've read his piece the racial contract he revisits narratives of the development of America and he pays attention to the importance of these narratives so not only like timelines and the procession of events and facts that we often get in like our textbooks and history textbooks but also what narratives was America born with how have they been perpetuated and reproduced and where are like the fallacies and the wrongdoing that comes about in how these systems of politics and morality and narrative intermingle. And I definitely like how he looks at that aspect of how morality and legitimacy is conferred in the United States through these narratives we hold to. And he ultimately asserts that there's kind of this contract between majority white Americans that has been in place since the founding of America to systemically exclude marginalized populations. And another academic writer who I like for kind of similar reasons is Gloria Anzaldúa. um, And she writes a piece called The Borderlands about existing on the border of North America and Mexico and what it's like to be in that kind of both politically, but also emotionally and individually limbo. And I think she resonates with me just because my mom is Mexican. I immigrated here, not from Mexico, but I immigrated with my family. And I just am always really interested by the immigrant mentality. And she, her writing style is really awesome because she, she like has poems in her work. So she definitely is a pioneer of kind of mixing academic writing with more creative writing. But I think it ultimately culminates in giving this really compelling like humanist story about vast reaching like with political implications and with ethical implications in these like borderlands. So I think those are two cool writers that I would feature off the top of my head.
0: I can definitely see how you are you can be inspired by some of these leading into your creative writing and fiction writing.
1: One thing I thought of I guess preparing for this interview that I wanted to hit at one point is that even in mental illness and depression specifically I always think it's interesting how you can have like these moments of beauty and light amidst the darkness and something like this for example this narrative I could see how maybe for the mom this could turn into one of her favorite memories even as and maybe for the kids too even as there's this sadness so I'm not sure if that really like reconciles the sadness that is present but I don't know I think it's important also to just like highlight the duality and like look at the bright spots sometimes, which illuminates the dark spots in different ways. So that's the only other thing I would say about my piece.
0: Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Thank you so much again for talking with me about it.
1: Yeah, no, thank you, Elizabeth. It was great talking to you.
0: Thank you for listening. You can find Patrick's story and the rest of the Health Humanities Journal's fall 2020 issue on our website linked in the show notes or go to hhj.web.unc.edu. The music you're hearing now and at the top is from Andy G. Cohen. Thanks again to Patrick for coming to talk with me, and be sure to watch for our next episode to hear more from the authors of the Health Humanities Journal of UNC Chapel Hill.